Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here together in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio this week, getting ready to record episode number 229. We have a really good show lined up for you this week. We're going to have some great topics and things to talk about. In our warm-up segment, we've got our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, Did You Know, Listener Question, and of course, Pages Power Play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about an idea that Stan had for a new blog that I haven't had time to write yet, so we're just going to jump into the idea of 15th commandment on my list of uh, recruiting commandments and how the transfer portal has drastically changed recruiting and probably will continue to. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about things that I've seen on social media lately about coaches setting high standards and why that's a good thing, but uh, wanted us to kind of Go back and forth on it a little bit because I've seen some things that say, yes, it's a good thing, but some other, I guess, problems that could potentially go along with it. And then our coaching tip of the week, uh, we're going to talk about helping players develop a secondary position from a coaching perspective, how it really is our job to make sure that the kids um, have at least one other spot on the field that they feel comfortable playing if we need them to play it. So before we get into those topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And let's talk about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. I want to say thank you very much. We have two new patrons this week, Surly Ginger and Michael Carlson. Thank you very much for coming on board. If you're interested in supporting what we're doing with Everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep, go to the patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch website, and it'll take you through the stages, the steps of what you need to do to fill out the paperwork to start being a patron. Coach Don and I desperately need many more of you to come on board and help support what we're doing with Everything Fast Pitch and, and Coach Prep. We've been having an ongoing discussion now. We're very, very appreciative of those of you that have decided to help support us. You know, we've had eight or nine new people now come on in the last three or four weeks as patrons, um, and we've had a really good core group of patrons that have been with us for a long time that have kept us going. But the reality is we're having discussions right now about how many more people we need before we have to just stop doing the podcast. Enjoy doing it. We love getting together to talk about uh, Fast Pitch and to spend time together. You know, it's, uh, it's three good friends that get a chance to catch up and, and talk about something that they really care about. But we are in the red every month, folks. I'm not going to try to beat around the bush anymore. It's just the way it is. And it's gotten to the point now where it's a serious enough issue. It's a serious enough problem that if we can't get some more support, we're going to have to just shutter the operation. So if you can, if you're in a position where you could help us, even if it's $5 a month, it makes a difference. If we could get 20 of you to sign up at $5 a month, five of you to sign up at $10 a month, and five of you to sign up at $20 a month, we would start erasing our debt instead of continuing to gain it. We just need the help. And Tori, I was going to say too, it's not just production costs. It's fuel and time that you come over here. You're 
making a trip every week that that we get together and it just adds up between the postage for the the things that we send out the t-shirts those kinds of things the printing of t-shirts all that stuff all the hosting fees for we're trying to do this the best we can to make it as much fun for everybody involved it really puts a smile on my face when i see somebody walk into our facility wearing one of our player of the week t-shirts or i see somebody at a tournament wearing one of our everything fast pitch t-shirts because i know that's somebody that's involved with what we're doing and that part is great but the reality of it is i'm an old man who's about ready to retire and my retirement can't be spent on podcasting it's you know it's got to be a hobby that i enjoy doing and something i'm going to look forward to doing into retirement as a way for us to get together and so it's just that simple we are about a month away from having to make that hard fast decision we need more help if you can help us we certainly do appreciate, the, as we said before, the patrons that we've had, but we just need to gain some more momentum. Tori, what about this? If you've got a business, too, as well, that you'd like to help sponsor us through your business, that would be exciting. That would be great, too. You know, sponsorships, advertising, anything we can do. But I think the patrons are our fastest way to make some progress because I think that the, those are the people that are benefiting directly from what we're doing. And so we would love for you to come on board. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. And as we said before, it'll all be explained to you there. So, Don, let's get into our topics. First, our warm-up segment, let's talk about our city of the week, which is LaGrange, Kentucky. LaGrange, Kentucky. We know a lot of LaGranges. I don't think I've been to LaGrange, Kentucky, Tori. It's one of those city names that always sticks with me. Old people, you'll remember this. There's a ZZ Top song Uh called LaGrange, which I might have had an adult beverage or two while listening to when I was a lot younger. And it's kind of a, a name that always sticks in my mind. So when I drive by LaGrange, Georgia, or I see LaGrange, Kentucky, it always registers. We're very excited to see the numbers jumping up in LaGrange. We love to see the increases in our weekly listeners. And uh, to see a spot make a big jump is, is always a cool thing. It means that people in the community that uh, are already listening are sharing their passion for everything fast pitch and sharing the idea of, uh, of being a fan of everything fast pitch to people that they know in the fast pitch community. And we're really excited whenever that happens. So spread the word, tell people you know that everything fast pitch and uh, coach prep podcast are pretty cool. We'd love for uh, more people to get on board and listen to them and when they get the opportunity. That sounds good. All right. So our player of the week this week, Don, is Kaylee Michener. Kaylee is on a 12 and under team. She's one of those kids that has had some struggles this year. She really, for lack of a better way to say it, was just not playing up to her level, up to the standard that she uh, expects of herself. Had one of those breakthrough tournaments, had one of those breakthrough moments, which kind of got the ball rolling. Just ended up doing a great job at the plate and also on the mound. Came through big time for her team. Again, pitchers that hit. I love it. Put together some really good statistics for that weekend, but more importantly... Um, I think that was the spark that got her rolling, got her back on track. And one of the things that uh, we know about this game is that there's always going to be challenges and setbacks. There's going to be times when it's a little bit more difficult. But because of that difficulty, when we accomplish something, when we feel good about what we're doing, it's just that much more fun. And so Kaylee's a perfect example of if you stay the course, if you keep grinding, if you keep working, if you keep doing everything that you can to make yourself a better player, eventually it's going to pay off. Kaylee, congratulations. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Way to go, Kaylee. Love it. So, Don, the equipment tip of the week, let's talk about the Square Cuts training discs. I'm excited every time I use them in, in the lesson and happy to see the success that we're having with them. The thought I had the other day, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, one of the kids that I work with came back and, and basically told me flat out that she loves using them because it tells her something every time she hits it 
and it tells her something that she can see for herself. She doesn't need to have a coach, doesn't need to have a dad, doesn't need to have anybody there to help her to observe her, that she can figure a lot of it out just by using the discs and not have to necessarily have any other feedback except what the discs tell her. No, I think that's super uh, important to to tell all the listeners that aren't familiar with them. But um, just like you said, kids that come in, you know, we have different stations when, when the kids come and train here. And often the first thing they want to go do is go check out the discs and go hit them. So it's exciting that they're finding value in it. And I think that uh, everybody out there that doesn't have a set needs some. I mean, it's just one of those neat new things that everybody should try. Right. So to get your square cuts training discs, you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. They're forty nine ninety five a dozen. Go ahead and uh, order them up. We'll get them shipped to you right away. It's a great tool, something that you're going to really enjoy having. Every player should have a set at home that they can use uh, in their personal training, and every team should have a set or two that they can use for practices to make sure that everything's going to have a little bit more variety to it and, and it'll be um, that much more of a productive practice. So square cuts training discs at the fastpitchprep.com website. Go ahead and get them ordered up, um, and we'll get them sent to you right away. So, Don, did you know 36% of the players who entered the transfer portal in 2021 never found a new home? Those stats were uh, provided uh, recently on uh, social media from the NCAA. I've been wanting to ask about that because that that would make a lot of sense. Right. And so there was a lot of discussion about that when I saw the post. A lot of people chimed in with comments and, and feedback uh, on, on Facebook when they saw it. And I thought it was very interesting because difference of opinion based on who was responding was so drastic to me that it struck me as being kind of a crazy thing. Because to me, 36% of the players not finding a new home, not continuing their softball career, or probably not, you know, because some kids probably fall through the cracks. There's probably a few that maybe end up doing something else that they don't report it or it doesn't get reported. But 36% is a gigantic number to me. Now, other people are talking, well, but in softball, 64% success is really good. If you hit 640, you'd be you know, one of the greatest hitters ever. But my way of thinking whenever we talk about percentages is my mind always shifts back to the classroom. And I don't know of very many school districts where 64% is anything better than a D minus or a good, an F. A good retention number, yeah. If we use it on a good old-fashioned grading scale, 64% is a D or an F, right. which is a pretty awful grade. If, we're, you know, if, our, if our kids came home with a whole bunch of those on their report card, we'd be pretty disappointed. So the earliest returns on the transfer portal appear to be less successful than I think some people thought. You know, I thought originally that the transfer portal was just kind of a loophole. The kids who had already figured out what they were going to do and where they were going to go already had figured it out. Unfortunately, that's just not the case. So if we're part of that 36%, we've got 0% chance of breaking a lineup. Right. Wherever we were, at some point, if we worked hard, we would have a chance to break the lineup and do something fun and exciting. Right. And, and I wanted us to talk about it a little bit just because, again, I'm not, not trying to discount the reasons why players transfer. And I think many players have very legitimate reasons for transferring. I think schools in some cases have very legitimate reasons for hoping players transfer. And so it's not always a, a bad news situation, except in situations like this where players transfer thinking that they're going to land on their feet, thinking that they're going to have a better... A Slide right into a good situation. Greener thing that we've talked about a bunch. 
um, and it's just not working out that way. And now the reason that I think it even a little bit more daunting is, I know I just saw this the other day, a couple of weeks ago, that as of uh, a couple of weeks ago, that there were still almost 1,500 players in the transfer portal from the 2022 group. So it, even if that is 1,500 active kids still looking... That's a season removed. Yeah, so that's the, the current kids. that Right now there's, you know, in, uh, the list right now of kids that are looking for a place to be playing now, because colleges are starting all over the country right now, that there were still 1,500 kids looking for schools. What do you suppose is happening on the other end too, Tori, once you go and uh, put yourself in the portal? How's your current situation going to work out? Well, the way the rules in Division One are written, um, once you enter the portal, the school that you were at can cancel your scholarship. They can you know, basically grant you your freedom. I know how I would feel. If I was a coach and I came in one morning and somebody said, hey, you know, Sally is in the transfer portal and I didn't even know what was happening or know what was coming. I know for sure that the, my next call would be to the financial aid office to cancel her scholarship. Right. You know, whether that's vindictive or not, I don't really care what any, anybody thinks. That would just be my, my reaction. And so I think that you had a lot of kids that jumped into this idea of going someplace else because it's going to be better without really thinking it through, without really knowing for sure whether it was going to be a better situation for them or not. And so to me, it's not a fun did you know, because to me it's uh, one of those challenging things where it's unfortunate because you don't ever, I never want to see anybody end up unhappy. Sure. But so to me, it was just one of those things that was worth talking about. It's not an immediate success just because you enter the portal. Right. And if we've got 1,500 kids still looking, I wonder what the percentage is going to be in the 2022 group when they finally get those numbers crunched and figure out how many kids entered the portal. Because we hear all the time about the high-profile kids that land on their feet, you know, that go from... The four All-Americans at Oklahoma. They're an All-American at Arizona State, and they transfer to Oklahoma, and everybody's, oh my gosh, the transfer portal's working great for so-and-so. Yeah. But for every one of those, it sounds like there's, you know, dozens, if not hundreds. What would be a little bit of legwork, Tori, but very interesting to find out, and maybe super informational for others that are considering the portal, but is to find out how many of those that did transfer to another school are actually happier. Right. Or satisfied with, you know, with that move. And the other thing, too, that uh, I, I haven't quite figured out for, for a whole nother, maybe this is a whole nother podcast discussion, is the graduate transfer thing. To see so many kids that have played their four years at one school and been successful and had, you know, good careers, deciding to transfer someplace else just for one more year. And again, what the backstory is on that, I would love to talk to some of the people that have done that. If it really is because the school that they're transferring to offers a program or something that they can't get at the school they were at, or if it's just, uh, hey, I've kind of, you know, let's try the new flavor. Yeah, let's try the new flavor and see if I like the new flavor a little bit more. I see things like kids transferring from schools like Georgia and Florida and places like that and going someplace else for their extra year, their their grad year of softball. And to me, in those situations, I can't imagine it's academic because I've been on both of those campuses, right? And I can't think of anything that they don't offer. And there's a full, yeah. It's not like you're leaving, you know, UGA to go someplace else because they have a, you know, a specific program that Georgia doesn't have, right? Or you're, certainly, you're not leaving Florida because Florida doesn't have an academic program that you're interested in. So, to me, I just think it's one of those interesting twists. I, I would love to hear that perspective too, because I'm sure that that's a, a a part of this number 
of players that didn't find a new home is some of them probably were all you know had completed their four years of softball but still had you know were looking for one more chance to play one more year someplace else and that didn't work out yeah no that's interesting I, again it's a lot of legwork to interview and find out about some of these things but it sure would be helpful or informational for those coming up so so i'm curious but did you know 36 percent of the players who entered the transfer portal in 2021 never found a new home all right so our listener question is not so much a listener question as a listener response you know we spent some time talking about time limit games a little bit ago and one of our listeners jamie responded back and jamie is an umpire He's been through the ranks as a father, coaching his daughters and, uh, and all that stuff, and wanted to stay involved in the game, so got into umpiring. And one of the things that he talked about that we didn't talk about at all was the time limit and its impact on the umpires and the umpire schedule. Sure. And you know, we were talking about how longer games are good for us, and we want the teams to play more innings. Um, Get a full and, game in. Right. And, and his perspective was, from an umpiring perspective, obviously, the more games they play, get to umpire more money the more money they make the more opportunities they have to to earn and his point that so you make the same for an hour game as you do for a three hour game in some places right and my guess is in some tournaments that the incentive to umpire is that you know because they're playing an hour and 15 or an hour and 10 or whatever it is that you'll get to work an extra game or two or three a day right probably is pretty strong incentive for the umpires and so that makes sense to me so i didn't really think about that aspect of it because i think you know when i think about the schedule and putting a uh, the the plan of attack together i'm always thinking about it from a coaching perspective jamie um, and i would have to it's a good point uh, but yeah would, would have to disagree on on one regard and that you know i i want him to get paid as much as he possibly can but i still want my team to play more innings and to play more more games now the one thing that he did talk about which i think is really important to to bring up because it's a great point if the teams would play like they knew they were on the clock they'd get a lot more softball in too you're coming up through the the ranks with that younger team you know that we would have to have a five-player powwow at home at the pitcher's mound every time we made a play. Every out, every yeah. single out had to be a huddle. Every time that something happened, we had to have like a thirty-second waste of time to celebrate the fact that we caught a pop-up, right? Or that we actually threw a you know threw somebody out at first base or whatever. And we'd have to have this another awesome strikeout. Yeah, this choreographed thing that took time. And I hadn't really thought about that except that I know it has always aggravated me. I know that. You know, with the team this past year, um, now that they were moving up to 14 and under, the very first tournament we played, you know, one of the girls on the infield uh, caught a pop-up, and they all started to run towards the pitcher's mound like they were going to celebrate, and I just stopped him right then and there. I said, stop. We're not going to celebrate the fact that you caught a pop-up. Let's save the celebrations for when something really big happens. If you catch a pop-up, let's throw the ball back to the pitcher and get back to playing, because you just did something that's pretty routine. Like we don't you, need to like celebrate Like you've done it before? It. Right. Yeah. But I think that was a point, too, that I, that I know we didn't talk about, that the teams are somewhat at fault in this, and in some cases really at fault, that if they wasted less time, you know, how many times you see the coach has to have the 30-second or 45-second or minute-long powwow before he sends the team back out on defense? You know, those kinds of things that, that just waste a little bit of time, too, or waste a lot of time, too. And so, Jamie, I do appreciate you're getting back to us about it because it gave us something else to talk about and something to think about that I had not really considered in our first discussion. That's interesting because even collegiately, Tori, the umpires in an extra inning game, they're not getting paid extra. They're right. just having to work extra. I think what one of the points, though, is depending upon where you're at um, and what you're signing up for to umpire, 
If you're signing up to umpire a high school varsity game or a college softball game, you're accepting whatever. You, you know that's the ground rule, yeah. but the pay probably is more commensurate. You know, I know a lot of the travel ball tournaments, you know, umpires are getting, you know, 20, 25 bucks a game. And obviously, if you're making 25, 30 bucks a game, if you can squeeze in three more games in a day, it's a, good that's day. a lot of money. Yeah. But if you know you're going to be spending all day doing a double header of a college game that, you know, you're going to spend six or seven hours at the ballpark, then your pay typically is going to be more, strong more in enough, line. yeah, more yeah. in line that, that you look at that as saying, okay, for the time I'm spending doing this double header, even though I'm only doing two seven inning or eight inning or 12 inning or 15 inning games, depending upon how things go that day, you know, there's going to be some, some balance. And so, uh, Jamie, we really do appreciate you getting, uh, making us, uh, aware of the umpire's perspective on it. Cause I know I certainly hadn't thought about it. I'm still going to always default back to, I'm thinking about what I think is best for my team. And for my team, it would always be more innings. If that means we've got to pay a little bit more to the tournament to get into a tournament so that you can get paid a little bit more per game as an umpire. If my choice was you're going to get 30 bucks a game for an hour or 60 bucks a game for two, I would pay you for two hours all day long and never even bat an eye about it. So Just so we you know, get to play. Right, yeah. just so we get to play. And, and obviously then at the end of the day, you'll work less games. You'll still be on the field for the same amount of time, but I'll feel like I got more of my money's worth from a team perspective. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. I wouldn't stop any other game halfway through, right? Right. Yeah. All right. So Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. Welcome back. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the little things that make a big difference in your athlete's results. So if you have ever been frustrated because your daughter isn't doing those little things that are going to help her be successful on the field and and off the field, like you're always nagging at her to get those little things done, well, I'm here to help this week. This week, I don't have a tip for you to help your daughter, but I'm just going to go straight to the punch by asking you to have her try a weekly mindset lesson because there is just something about hearing a message from someone else other than our parents. I know it's like never fun to hear, like why does it have to be like that? But that's why I'm here. (laughs) That's why I'm here to help. This week in the mindset lesson, we are talking about the little things that make a big difference in your daughter's results as an athlete and as a young woman, let's be honest. And I'll just tell you what the little thing is because I'm going to, I'm going to teach your daughter about it in the lesson this week. It's post-game journaling. And maybe you're thinking, thank goodness I have Paige to teach this because she's never going to do this if I tell her to do it. There's a small percentage of athletes working on the little things, specifically the mental game, that make a big difference in their results. And that can be your daughter and your athlete. I'm going to show her what the heck she needs to journal about after a game and why it's going to help her be more successful. So what do you say? Ready to try this out to help your daughter by adding the mental game with some weekly mindset lessons? I'm ready for her. Now it's just up to you. So you can go grab this week's mindset lesson at my website, pagetons.com backslash lessons. I can't wait to help her. So uh, I know Paige has been mentioning that uh, her program is reopening. She's going to be t- uh, signing kids up now for the next session of the Confident Athlete class. You need to sign your kids list. up for it. Yeah, get you on the need, waiting list. The, uh, there's no nice way to say it, just like we're asking all of you to get on board and help us support everything fast pitch. If you want your kid to have more fun playing softball, if you want her to be a more successful person, if you want her to have a whole lot less aggravation, pain, and angst about playing this game or honestly facing the rest of her life, the Confident Athlete Program is amazing. 
you know, she's going to be a more confident athlete, obviously, but she's going to be a more confident kid. And to me, it's a small price to pay for the benefit that you're going to get from it. So uh, go to pagetons.com and uh, get your kid signed up. You have to get your kid into this confident athlete uh, session. I was going to say, and uh, Tori, just like all the other things that we learn from softball, that's just another way for us to learn how to cope with challenging times, right? And yeah. we're going to apply some of the things that we learn um, through Paige, you know, to our regular everyday life too. So I think it's it's a wonderful thing to have all the kids be exposed to. Yeah, the everyday application to me is the thing that is yeah. uh, very exciting. And I think... Uh, we don't really think about it that way. And and where Paige is such a strong mentor to these kids is she's walked in those shoes. You know, she, a big part of what, why she's doing what she's doing is all the pain and misery she Wasn't suffered. Wasn't always perfect for her, yeah. All the aggravation she endured as a, as a player on her way up and the things she learned from that. Now she's trying to keep you from making the same mistakes she made kind of thing or the pain that she experienced, and I think it's a really cool program. Be stronger and better. I like it. All right, John, so that's going to take us to the leadoff segment. Our leadoff segment is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also go to Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Anything you need. Bats, balls, spirit wear, uniforms, equipment. Uh, the folks at Elite can hook you up. They've been doing it for a long time, and they're really good at it. So, Don, Stan had a great idea. We're publishing uh, the blogs that I wrote a while back about the uh, 14 commandments of, of recruiting. And it's all information, uh, things that are geared towards helping players, parents, uh, coaches navigate their way through the travel ball and recruiting world. Um, to make sure that uh, you know, when they are getting recruited, that they're doing things that help them get recruited. And the thing that Stan wanted us to talk about, and I, I need to write about, is what I'm going to call the 15th commandment, which is how the transfer portal has drastically changed recruiting. It's one of those things that I don't think anybody thought about as much as uh, they might have or could have. When we opened the door to make it so much easier for college players to change programs, to go from one program to the next. And one of the areas that has been really impacted tremendously is recruiting. So recruiting now for college coaches has become retaining their current players. So basically every year they need to re-recruit the kids on their team to make sure that they're going to stay. Stay, sure. Which is obviously a different thing. Then once they figure out which kids they're going to lose, how to replace them, and replacing them now, the best way to replace a current player that you lost is with somebody else's current player who's already proven that they can be a college player. Correct. So if you, you know, graduate your All-American pitcher or your All-American pitcher gets frustrated and decides she wants to go to a different school, you can hope that that high school kid that you recruited might fit in and, Take the and, unknown. and, and be able to fill those shoes. Or you go to the transfer portal and you say, well, here's another already established, uh, she wasn't an All-American, but she was the pitcher of the year in the Mid-America Conference or the A-Sun Conference or whatever it is. She's already proven she can win in college. I think I'm going to go to the transfer portal. How does that work too with the portal? Is there just a phone number there? It's like, hey, call me on my cell phone. I'll, we'll talk about me transferring or do we... I'm sure that you know contact information is available Email and, and... and coaches can go in and you know take their shopping list with them and isn't that something? Start looking for you know looking for what might fit their needs. But so the the reason I think that that's worth talking about and the reason why I think this blog has to be written 
is because the way that it has changed life for the college coaches, and again, I talked to a college coaching friend of mine the other day, and he was really beside himself because he wanted to go out and watch younger players right? and ended up having to spend all his time working on recruiting transfer kids to fill needs of players that he had just lost. Immediately. That were immediate needs. He basically told me that he's not wasting any time at all now watching any younger players because it's just a total waste. It doesn't have any 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 dividends to them. I've talked to a couple other players too that have been at some of the bigger tournaments here at the tail end of the summer and, and they've said, yeah, that they're not seeing tons of college schools represented. Right. So that's disappointing for the kids as well that, that they're not you know, having that whole crowd of college recruitment um, at these big tournaments too. So it's going to change that landscape. And that's, I think, the, the point to this whole discussion is that change that these kids are seeing, the fact that, you know, where, where they used to go to the Atlanta Legacy and look behind the backstop and see three SEC schools and, and five ACC schools and two Big Ten schools and three Pac-12 schools and then 50 or 60 other coaches from all other types of schools, a lot of those coaches aren't going to be there anymore because there's no payoff for them in recruiting younger players at this point. If they can get the great player their sophomore year, right? then why not, and, right? And the reality of it is what we need to start to help our kids that are in the process of trying to get recruited, the high school age kids that used to be the lifeblood of recruiting. You know, not that long ago, we were watching 7th and 8th graders play softball, trying to anticipate which of them were going to be the great players that we could get to come to our program. And we were recruiting and offering scholarships to kids that hadn't even started high school yet yeah. because they showed so much potential to now a few years later and just a handful of years later that college coaches barely have time or interest in watching high school seniors play or, or and definitely high school juniors play because to them, they're so far down the, what do I need to recruit in, a, in to right do now? Well, to do well next year. Right, to have a chance to win next year. The idea of program building for the long haul, of having a four-year, five-year plan. I can remember having a spreadsheet with color-coordinated print on it. Each of the years. For each and, class. Yeah. And projecting the, the kids that are going to be seniors next year, juniors next year on down to the kids that we had recruited. And back then, because we were recruiting younger players, it was kids that were going to be seniors, kids that were going to be juniors, kids that were going to be sophomores in high school. We're all part of the long-range plan of how it was all going to fit together. And looking at, uh, well, it looks like we, you know, we might need another infielder in this spot, or we might need another pitcher in that spot. And, and trying to plan long-term, like a five-year, six-year plan, to now it seems like for the vast majority of college coaches, it's a five-minute plan. It's not even a five-month plan. It's like a, a five-day plan. It's like, how do I get through this week? How do I get better right now? You know, and as we said earlier, got a lot of these colleges are about ready to crank up classes or are just getting started. And there are college coaching people that I know that are scrambling around right now, a week before school starts, trying to find somebody that fits a need. Fill a couple spots. That they really, you know, that they that they have to find. And it used to be. You know, you'd be out in Colorado watching the uh, unsigned seniors because you needed to get a high school kid. Well, now it's the the transfer portal. You can get them in by January, Tori. We're good. We, right. we still got plenty of time. Yeah. They, they can get one semester in and they can 
be in the starting lineup for our first game. Right. And so the whole transfer portal thing, here's how it's changing life. Obviously, it's changing the life for the college coaches. And when I say all that stuff, people are like, yeah, but they get paid. They should just shut up and suck it up and, and live with it. Okay, well, that's fine. But here's the collateral damage now to this whole thing. If you are a high school player, and parents, coaches, kids, you need to hear this because this is the reality of it. If you are a high school player and your dream is playing at Oklahoma or Florida or Georgia or UCLA or any of those schools and that you're going to get recruited out of high school and have a chance to play there early in your career, you need to do a, a quick soul search and come to grips with something. Yes, there will still be the occasional high school player who does that. Top flight kid. And I don't mean just the top flight player on their team. You know, it used to be if you were the best player on your team, you had a chance to go to one of those really good schools. Now you need to be one of the best players in the country to have a chance to do it. Of a small handful. Right. And so, you know, there's a, a girl that trains in our facility that's been to several Oklahoma camps. And she is a really, really good player. She came in not too long ago with an Oklahoma visor on you know, that she had gotten on as a souvenir from one of her trips out there to go to the camp. And many years, I would have said, hey, that's great. She's a, that kind of player. She's got a chance to be that kind of player. Well, in this last couple of years, I would tell her, well, it's, it's okay if you want to go there, but here's what you can count on. Nothing. I was going to say. And here's what you can predict. If they're getting the leading hitters from across the country from last season. Nothing, right? I mean, you can count on nothing. Uh, there is no guarantee that it, you'll ever even come close to, uh, to, to getting on the field. Could and pick another school and then lead the country in hitting, and then you get to go to Oklahoma. Right. And so for that same player, that would be a much better strategy. So instead of thinking about what's my dream school, I'm one of the best players in the country, I can go to that school. She'd be much better off going to a more mid-major. Light the world on fire. Yeah, be an All-American at School X. And then the Oklahomas and Floridas and people like that are definitely going to be more interested in you because you've proven it at the college level. Yeah. And I know it's heartbreaking because the reality of it is, you know, the, the, the team that I worked with, of the 13 kids-ish on the team this year, they would sit around and talk about where they want to go to school. They all had those kinds of schools, Clemson, Georgia, Florida, um, Florida State, you know, all those, you know, going to you know, have a chance to win a national championship kinds of programs. And some of those schools will still have some high school kids that they'll actively recruit. But the days of anybody thinking that, well, they're recruiting me and in two years I'm going to be the starting whatever, right. from a high school player's perspective is very, very wishful thinking. You know, it used to be the kids would try to predict, you know, looking at the classes, you know, just like I had my color-coded system of, you know, who was in each each class. Recruits would kind of have that same thing going in their mind for a school. Well, they're going to have a hole in, you know, the infield in two years. I'll be a freshman in two years. So that means, you know, I'll have a chance to compete for one of those spots because, you know, it'll just be me and you know, a couple other players that are comparable. And now, Plus the portal now. Right. That same school looks at it and says, well, but I can also go and get the defensive player of the year from this conference. I can get this kid that hit 600 in this league. I can get this kid that you know had 27 stolen bases at school X. I can get this girl that we played against that went two for three against us in that one game and showed that she can handle our She's level of pitching. pitching. Yeah. 
And, and that's the thing that I want our high school age folks to come to grips with. We should have already started to be more realistic anyhow, because for a lot of kids, those dreams are, were already a stretch. They were already unlikely to come true. Even for the kids, like you're saying. Right. Now it's become that much more unlikely. The reality of a high school kid who's not one of the top kids in the state. No, I mean in the country. If you're a high school kid and you want to go to Oklahoma, if you're not the best catcher, if you're not the best shortstop, if you're not the best pitcher in the country. Because they're going to have access to them. Right. Yeah. You, you probably should be readjusting your, your plan of attack. If you're the best player in your state, you might still have some interest from some schools, but the reality of the, the total picture of it. So they might still have some interest in you, but does that mean that you are really going to have a chance to compete for a, pl- a spot? For playing time, or is it that they're just interested in you because you're going to be the fallback position if they lose somebody and if they can't get somebody out of the portal? No, I know, and and as we talk about it, this is reality that you're you're sharing. But um, for young players, you got to still work, got to still try, you got to still have dreams and things like that. But, right. Um, we want to keep it real and and share with you how things are evolving. Right. Right. Well, and and I don't think it's going to get any better. I think it's going to get worse. Right. Because as we said in our uh, did you know this year we had 1,500 players in the transfer portal, and many of them aren't going to find homes, and they've already proven that they can play in college. Right. Now, some of them weren't the, you know, the best player in their state or whatever, so there's you know, some of that too. But the idea of, well, I'm the you know, seventh best player on my 14 and under team, and I think I'm going to go to Clemson or Florida State or Oklahoma is something that all those kids need to, to come to grips with the reality of what's probably facing them. And all those things are, are tough for sure. And But what kind of, I guess, makes me unhappy is that, you know, for a long time we wanted to be at these tournaments where all the coaches were, you know, gathered and watching and trying to figure out who the best players were and so on and so forth. Um, to think that it's not really going to be that way anymore kind of is disheartening to me. And because that was the exciting part is going there and feeling the atmosphere of, you know, the buzz of coaches watching certain games and playing in front of them and things like that, I thought were, uh, you know, something we all look forward to. And as coaches, we tried to be at tournaments that, uh, that we're going to have that kind of atmosphere, but we can find out who the top hitters were at all the national tournaments here. We can find out what pitchers had the best stats. So we know who the kids are that need to be on the radar that we probably definitely want to see before we try and recruit them. But we don't have to fly to California to find out or who was the best hitters or the best pitchers at that tournament. We can, we can play the stats. And the, the next part of this for the high school folks is, you know, so much of the recruiting world and the travel ball world is built around getting to those tournaments like you were just talking about. Well, if the reality of recruiting is changing to the point where college coaches are more and more leaning to the tr- transfer portal as a place to find players, what's the motivation in paying a ton of money to go to Colorado or California or chasing them all summer yeah or whatever the other big showcase events are if less and less college coaches are going to be there now I think that college coaches are still going to be at those events I don't want to you know sound the death knell of it but what I do think is going to happen and again this is all part of this whole transformation that I think is going to be happening is we need to go to Colorado being really excited that the Mac and the OVC and the A Sun 
and the uh, Mountain West Conference coaches are going to be there watching us. Right. Because those are the schools that I'm probably really going to go to for my first year or two and and kick butt there and then have a chance to go to my dream school, which was Oklahoma or Florida State or whatever it might have been. And it's early in this process, but it's it's trending that way strongly enough now that I don't think we can deny that it's headed that way. And we talked about this a while back, and you know, a lot of people got really frustrated and angry. But what's happening in college softball right now is an absolute farm system mentality. And for the longest time, junior colleges knew they were the farm system. They they were going to have kids what for it was. A, yeah. a year or two. They were going there to you know work on their game, to play some softball, to you know get their academics in order, maybe take some classes and, and be in a better position to transfer. And they were going to transfer to another school, and, and my life was going to be constantly recruiting because I knew every year I had to replace at least half of my team. Correct. And so that was the junior college coach's life. Well, it wasn't that way for the four-year college coaches. They recruited kids, and we recruited kids thinking, hey, this kid's going to come in. She's going to be in our program for the long haul. We're going to develop her. We're going to work really hard to make her a better player. And we're going to see the fruits of those labors. When she's a junior and a senior, She's going to be an amazing player, and, and we're all going to you know, have the happy ending of you know, seeing her career come to an amazing conclusion where she's you know, standing out there on, on the field on senior day thinking Worked back hard, about, accomplished thing. Yeah, yeah. about coming in as a freshman, not knowing if you even had a role, to you know, now being a, a highly decorated senior. And what's happened now is for all those kinds of conferences we just mentioned is they really are becoming the developmental level for players for the higher level of college softball. You want to make them better, but not too good? Well, see, that's, the, <laughs> that's the, the, the real rub here is, I mean, obviously, if you want to keep your job at a mid-level school, you need to win. So you right. need to get the players to play as well as they possibly can every single year. But not so good that they're going to leave you. But then you're not probably winning enough to keep your job anyway. I know, so, it's tricky. So this whole idea now of AA, AAA, Major League softball is kind of what's happening in the college game. But the, the again, the moral to the story is for all of our younger players and parents and coaches realizing that the... Tra- the Be this, excited about the mid-level right. opportunity. And, and the yeah. idea that you, know, you used to send uh, you know, all your information to those top 10 schools, or you know, we always would joke you know, at the recruiting seminars, that when you would ask the kids, name your top 10 schools, it would be the eight teams that were just in the College World Series. Right. <laughs> and two other giant schools that were close to home or where mom or dad went to school or whatever. Which is cool, but, but not realistic. Right. Yeah. But now when we look at, you know, we'll just use Oklahoma as an example. You know, at the end of the year when Oklahoma had dominated so much, people were talking about, well, thank God they're graduating all these, these great players. And there's two different parts to this. So everybody got excited thinking, okay, at least it'll be a little bit more competitive. Oklahoma's not going to have this amazing, amazing team back again. Well. You've got players on that Oklahoma roster that didn't play very much last year, had you know limited roles that worked hard and and thought they were going to you know have a chance to elevate. Now that you know some of those players had had graduated, and what ends up happening is four All Americans from other schools transferred to Oklahoma. How many times do you have that many All Americans all on one team? Well, I mean, I, I spent my whole coaching career in Division One. I. I ever had one one. Have, Division One All American. They have four. They have four brand new ones. Four showing up. Yeah, they have yeah. four brand new ones to go with the ones that they already had coming back. Correct. You have kids that were at Oklahoma, and and a, some of those for sure were the kids, the high school type kids that we're talking about now. Hey, 
I know I'm not going to play very much as a freshman. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to get better. Being in this environment, I'm going to learn so much. You know, great coaches, great teammates. We're going to win. I'm going to have all this fun experiences. And when I'm a sophomore, junior, senior, I'm going to have proven that I deserve to play. And no matter how much that kid improved, when push came to shove, when the phone was ringing in Norman and they had a chance to get an All-American proven pitcher from Michigan, they took her. And I understand why. I don't blame them for doing it. It's going to give them another leg up on winning another national championship. But there's a, a junior or a sophomore in that program that none of us know for sure who she is that just had her world come crashing down around her because that's one more year now that that's one more player that she can't beat out. Right. So, And that's the reality we want our younger players now to be thinking about, that if you think you're going to be the player that goes to that school and works your way up and, and earns a spot, it, yes, it can happen, but it's happening rare. It's more rare now than it ever was, and I think it's going to become even more rare in the future at those types of schools. So the wish list now, if we, do a, if we did a recruiting seminar next week, should be, you know, I want to find a school that really wants me that where I can go and play. And if that ends up being a mid-major Division I school or a strong Division II school or an NAIA school or a Division Three school... Start getting warm with that idea. It, get excited about it, because yep. no yep. matter what, it means that you're going to still get to keep playing and you'll have an opportunity to, you know, to play college softball. And if ultimately your end-all, be-all is to play on you know, ESPN for the Women's College World Series National Championship, if you develop enough as a player, one of those kinds of schools is probably going to come looking for you as a transfer. Well, and you've said this too a million times, Story. It keeps pushing me back to the thought that uh, this all needs to be about our academics too. What happens after softball? We need to get that good education. And if some of those schools will provide that for you and still have fun to play a game that you love or an opportunity to do that, then uh, we need to kind of recalibrate what, what some of those end goals really well, need to be. That part needs to be part of the uh, why am I going to transfer discussion. So why should I stay at the school I'm at versus why should I transfer the reason I should stay at the school I'm at is I'm going to get a great education. I'm going to have a very valuable degree. Not going to disrupt that whole process. Right. I'm, I'm going to graduate on time. I'm going to have a chance to get on with my real life. But right. unfortunately, that's not what's motivating an awful lot of these choices, I don't right. think. And that's why I feel bad for those that aren't, aren't successful through the portal because they're in limbo. I, I guess they just stay at school wherever they're at or go back home wherever they're at and try and hope all the classes transfer. And right. it just disrupts that whole process. And so what's the 15th commandment? The transfer portal has drastically changed recruiting and it's going to keep it moving in a much different direction than it's ever been in the past. And if we can wrap our heads around that as players that want to play college softball, parents of those players, the travel ball and high school coaches of those players, we're going to be well served to realize that the reality has changed immensely in a couple of years. And if I'm a travel ball coach and one of the players on my team now comes to me and says, well, coach, my dream school is Oklahoma. I'm going to be prepared with a discussion and a, a response of something along the lines of, it's great that that's your dream. I think we should work as hard as we can to try to make that a reality. Let's chase it like crazy. But yep. let's also start to look at a whole lot of other options because depending upon, and, and you can just tell the kids the truth. You don't have to tell them that they're not good enough. You don't have to tell them that, you know, that they have no chance. Just tell them the truth. 
that no matter how good you are, there's a chance that somebody who's already proven themselves as a college player is going to jump in line right in front of you and take the spot that you've worked so hard for. I was going to say that school had five spots came open and four went with the portal. Right. And, and bing, bang, boom, just like that, you know, that player who that was their dream. It just reality and, and the dream did not coincide very well. And I think that's the um, information that needs to be shared now with younger players. It's great to dream that. Keep dreaming it, but yep, work for it and chase it like crazy. Because if you end up being that one player, but you know, even like Oklahoma now, you know they had uh, you know Jada Coleman and Tiare Jennings who came in as freshmen and and set the world on fire a couple of years ago. Well, I'm starting to wonder now if they were high school, and those are two of the greatest players on the planet. You know, I've proven now in, in a couple of years at Oklahoma that there are amazing, amazing players. If even a player of that caliber could have gotten caught up in this a few years ago. And missed out. Right. You know, because, you know, three years ago, the transfer portal was not the thing that it is now. You know, when they, when they were coming out of high school, you know, the transfer portal wasn't the end-all, be-all you know, problem solver for, for college programs. Pretty freshly evolving. So, so it, it's brand new. So there's plenty for you to think about. I will eventually get a blog written that will, you know, lay this all out. It's going to be a multi-parter. It's going to be probably eight or ten blogs that kind of sum all this stuff up so we can talk about each one of these pieces a little bit more in detail. But it was such a fun topic, I didn't want us to, to wait too Myths long. on it. And yep. fun might not be the right word, because for an awful lot of people, it's, it's an aggravating topic. Well, yeah, it can be miserable. Yeah. All right, so Don, let's move on to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. All right, so another idea that came to me, I saw a post on uh, Facebook the other day. Basically, the moral of the post was when coaches set high standards, the players who are winners will love it, the players who are losers will quit, and either way, the team ends up being better off for it. Right. And word for word, I don't know if that's exactly it, but that was basically the message, that if a coach sets really high standards, the kids who are quote-unquote winners, they're going to love it. They're going to be happy in that environment. The kids that are not that kid, that you know, are not hard workers or whatever, they're going to hate it and they're going to quit. Well, the reason I wanted us to talk about this is because one of the groups that I work with, a couple of players that I work with, came to me this past week. And it started off about a month ago. They were super excited because their high school program had a new coach. And she is a go-getter. She is a really good coach. She really, wants you know, to some, find out who wants it. Somebody who has the track record and has proven over the years that you know, if you play in her program, if you do the things she wants you to do, you're going to end up being a really good program. But this, this is different than it used to be. Yeah. Short term of that, though, has been you know, a relatively small pool of kids that were softball players. And... As the original meme says, you know, the top group, the top five or six or seven kids are in love with it. They think it's the greatest thing ever. But the reality of it is their roster stops right now at about nine. They're going to push the rest away. Because 
all the other kids that were playing because it was fun and because they enjoyed it and it was you know something to do and and they liked being around their teammates and you know softball is great but I don't want to play in college so I don't even want to kill myself to play it kind of kids have all fallen out of the program they've all left and so now we've got a school ball program that needs 12 or 14 kids for a varsity and 12 or 14 kids for a JV slash freshman developmental team has eight or nine kids total in their program. And they are walking the halls begging kids to come out because they need to have a couple more live bodies to survive this year and then hopefully start to gain the momentum that they think that this new coach is going to provide. So, Tori, as, as you're describing that whole situation, I'm, I'm thinking the evolution of this is going to be as much as you and I are exactly like that coach coming yeah. in, knowing how things should be and how we're going to do the best we can. They're going to have to find some kind of a balance between their really exciting, aggressive, challenging environment and something that's going to work for the numbers. So if they had a huge pool of kids that were willing to do that, you know, like the seven or eight that, that are there, if they had a huge pool of kids that were willing to do that, to kind of filter that out and, and field a whole team of kids that are, again, willing to do that, that level of commitment was ultimate. That's perfect. But I think that that coach is going to have to balance their enthusiasm and excitement with what's you know, the whole group is willing to, to right. do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was why I thought that post was so in, interesting and intriguing because to me, the uh, message is exactly like you just said, you know, what we grew up with. I mean, and honestly, the way I always thought of myself as a coach, the high pressure, high standards, do it, you know, right, do it right the right way every time, you know, no, no slackers, no, no halfway kind of stuff was a way to be successful. Well, unfortunately, in some settings, you don't get to hand pick a whole pool of kids. So, and, and honestly, it, it could be the same in travel ball as it is in right now in this school ball setting. Oh, yeah. Because there's so many teams now that a player who wants to play and just kind of be playing for fun and, you know, is sort of serious but not really serious, they can leave just like that and go to a. They can find it. That, that's m- more in line with what they're doing. And so, the setting the high standards is great, you know, and we keep you know circling around this same topic in a hundred different discussions um, week after week after week. That you know we came up in in the world of and the idea of you know athletics is a way to toughen you up, to learn tough lessons, to learn to succeed when life gets hard, you know, to grind it out when you need to grind it out kinds of lessons. And unfortunately, there's a lot of situations now where the kids and the parents of those kids are not interested in those kinds of lessons anymore. No, I know. You know they're not interested in, you know, wh- what can she learn by failing and overcoming her failure? What can she learn by striving to succeed in a tough situation? Just move to a different it's situation. Just, yeah, it's yeah. just the grass is going to be greener someplace else, and we're going to go where the grass is greener. And unfortunately, you know, this is a, an absolute catch-22 that we're in right now. And I think, you know, those of us then and, and in this situation that, you know, kind of believe what that post was talking about, as you said, have to change their ways, have to adjust a little bit. You know, right now, you know, the my way or the highway kind of attitude is going to get you a lot more highway than my way. You got to make it palatable to yeah. and if, enough if, to get the numbers. And if, if you're working at a high school that only has, you know, 25 or 30 softball players maximum to come, you know, to, to pick from to come to your team, and out of those 25 or 30, seven or eight are in love with it, and the other ones are like, eh, track sounds like fun. Right. You know, well, you know, 
you know, flag football starts pretty soon. I'll play flag football instead. You've got a, a, a big train wreck. So I, I love the overall idea, but I think that anybody who thinks that way now is going to have to tone it down, rethink it a little bit, adjust it a little bit to make it work a little bit better. And then I think as everybody finds, uh, you know, that that is a good path, that the excitement level and the commitment level from enough numbers will, she can migrate back or he right. or she or whoever it was can migrate it back to that really high end, you know, competitive yeah. setting. Yeah. Well, and I think what will happen is, is if they can survive this first year, it will get better. They'll have success. Yeah. And, and they'll when, see the value. Right. And, and then more people will want to jump on board because, oh, wait a second. It seemed kind of crazy when she wanted us to practice six days a week, but look, you know, they, they made it to Columbus and they played for a state championship. I was going to say when we were only 500, but now we're a 750 yeah. team. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, now we're winning our region and, and players are, are going on to play in college and stuff like that. Eventually it's going to gain some momentum. There's a value. But right now the surviving, <laughs> surviving long <laughs> enough to see the value is, is going to be the challenge. And so, you know, I think keeping your high standards is a great idea, but let's make sure we manage it a little bit more appropriately so that you don't run off the numbers that you need to make sure you can still have a team. Easier way into that. Yeah. Right. All right. So down our coaching tip of the week is coaches, we need to help players make sure they're developing a secondary position. And one of the things that I think it's a trap that we all fall into is we have so many kids that are really good at one thing that are, you know, by far our best shortstop, by far our best catcher, by far our best pitcher that you know, we just fall in, the, in love with the idea of that's where they play. And they right. play there enough and they play there so consistently that you know, they're not unhappy. Why change it? You know, why, yeah, why go looking for trouble? But the flip side of that is I think that we want to start to prepare players for more opportunities. We want to make sure that we're preparing our teams for more situations that could arise. Be diverse. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should make all our players utility players. They don't all need to be able to play five different spots. They don't all need to be able to plug and play anywhere on the field. And, and we have a seamless transition where nothing really changes because they're all so interchangeable and all you know, have so much you know, diversity that they can you know, just jump around from spot to spot and we never miss a beat. But what I am saying is your star pitcher needs to also be able to play another position. Your star catcher needs to also be able to play another position because there's going to be a, a point in time where something happens in the course of a game or the course of a tournament where those players need to be able to do something besides just their primary position. It sounds, Tori, like that would create uh, team strength because you never know what's going to happen, who's going to turn an ankle, and if moving our shortstop to second base is an easy thing for us to do, because we have a need, then we're going to be a stronger team. But if moving that player over there puts her in a situation where, you know, she isn't able to turn a double play, that she's not able to fulfill bunt coverages because she forgets to go to first, then, then our team's going to be in trouble. Right. Well, and, and the way I think about it too is, is if your number two shortstop is your fifth best player, she needs to be playing someplace. Right, And the only way that that works out very well is if she's comfortable playing someplace else. If your second best shortstop is your fifth best player, but your starting shortstop is also your second best center fielder, and in one game your center fielder gets hurt or gets sick, your team might be a whole lot better off with your fifth best player playing shortstop and your best player playing center field than you are with some other combination of players. And the only way we're going to know what that is is if during the course of practices, 
were trying some different things, experimenting with some different things, and, and honestly approaching each player from a perspective of, you know, what other positions are you comfortable with? Where else would you like to play? What else do you want to learn to make sure that, you know, we have that option in place? And also, you know, again, for the kids that have aspirations of playing in college, the number of kids who play exactly where they thought they wanted to play is not that huge of a number. So if your catcher could also be a good outfielder or a good first baseman or third baseman or whatever it is, everybody's going to win from that. No, and I think, too, we talk about you can hit, you're going to play. So if you're one of the nine best hitters, it's likely that coaches are going to find a spot out there for you. We can only have one shortstop. We can only have one first baseman. You know, but if you're one of the nine kids that are clobbering the ball, you're going to be in the lineup somewhere. Right. So you need to be comfortable there. And especially for our young players, Tori, you know, we don't know when we're 10, 11, 12, even 13 years old, where our spot, quote unquote, is. And, uh, you know, if we're able to move around during practice, like, hey, I'd like you to take some fly balls today. You know, see how you move out there. See how you react to the ball being hit. You know, if you have good instincts that way, maybe that will help give us an idea of where that next spot might be. Right. Well, I think that uh, um, one of the things that we see happening is that uh, parents and kids sometimes become so enamored with the idea of them playing a certain position. You know, I've seen the old power play several times already now in the travel ball world of, well, my daughter's a shortstop. You know, if she can't play shortstop on this team, she's going to play someplace else. And she might be a great shortstop. You know, but Jada Coleman was a great shortstop coming up through the travel ball ranks, and even though she's left-handed, she is still a great shortstop. Well, at Oklahoma, she's an All-American center fielder. Right. And could she be the shortstop? If she went someplace besides Oklahoma, maybe. Probably but, a lot of places. But the you know reality of it is if somebody that talented can have a secondary position and be good enough at it that you know they can To be play, an All-American, yeah. And obviously that's one extreme example but we're, we're doing a disservice to our players if we're not ex- allowing them to experience it and learn to doing these other positions. And again, I don't want us to make them all utility players because I, I do believe that... That's a myth, yeah. It's a, that's a bad idea because I, I don't think very many kids who are, are pretty good at a lot of stuff but not great at anything accomplish as much as kids that are great at one or two things. But I want to be great at one thing and be really good at a second. Right. And then... You know, all the rest of it, if it works out that that still means she can play a third position, you know, just because she's, you know, athletic and knowledgeable and knows enough because of what her primary position and her secondary position have taught her, that's a bonus. But to me, the idea of every player needs to have a number one and a number two, they can be in love with the first one, but they have to be willing to to live with the second one and be good and good enough at it that it helps the team. I was going to say, and, and, uh, you know, to not have a chance to try those things, I think is balance here. We need, yep. and we're better than in practice. And you might stumble on an amazing catcher. You know, it's, hey, put the gear on, see what you can do. Go catch a bullpen and, and get back there and let's see, see what happens. Right. Yep. And, and I think if we'll all be a whole lot better off if we do that. No doubt. All right. So, Don, that's going to wrap up number 229. As always, we want you to support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. Please become a patron if you can. Patreon.com slash Everything Fast Pitch. We railed about it for plenty at the beginning of the podcast. We're not going to do it again. But we definitely need your help. Surly Ginger and Michael Carlson, thank you very much for coming on board as uh, patrons. We really do appreciate you and, and hope that uh, you'll keep the ball rolling and more people will follow suit. 
Make sure you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. You order, order your Square Cuts training discs there and also have access to the blogs and YouTube channel. So hundreds of videos and 700 plus blogs. Pretty quickly, number the 15th commandment is going to be going up there as soon as I get uh, my life settled down moving into the house. That's awesome. And you say it all the time, Tori, but would love for all the listeners to share the podcast with their team. Just share it with your yeah. team, send a link, you know, shoot it out, tell them to give it a try. I think your team will be better. They'll be more familiar with all this stuff and uh, we can get everybody involved. And make sure you reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Questions, ideas, suggestions, and Player of the Week nominations. So for Coach Don McKinley, our producer Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.